the future well-being is very exciting. It's uh, personalized, it's precise, it's preventable, it's predictable, it's participatory, it's a process, and it's fun that we can all hope to have the experience, if we want, of a joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, clear, reflective mind, and lightness of being. The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com healthcare. Welcome. I'm Bobby Dressen, President and CEO of Medical Alley. Today's episode is very special as we have the opportunity to connect with our 2023 annual dinner keynote speaker, Deepak Chopra. Where to even begin as we list some of Dr. Chopra's impressive accomplishments throughout his life? He is known across the world as a pioneer of integrative medicine and personal transformation. He has written more than 90 books, including a number of New York Times bestsellers. Earlier this year, he released his newest book, Living in the Light, which offers a guide to the philosophy and practice of yoga. Deepak founded the Chopra Foundation, a nonprofit organization focused on improving health and well-being promoting spiritual knowledge and healing, and striving toward world peace. He also founded Chopra Global, a health company that takes both a scientific and spiritual approach to healing. I have had the personal opportunity to participate in the Lake Nona Institute since its founding, where Dr. Chopra is highly engaged, and I look forward to attending once again in a couple weeks. Dr. Chopra, welcome, and thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me, uh, Bobby. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you. So your work, your writing, and teaching is the epitome of an integrative approach to health and well-being, incorporating a holistic I'd say approach again, if that's an overuse of the term, but on behalf of each individual's mind, body, and spirit, could you please help our listeners? And I know that's a lot to unpack, but help our listeners understand the connection and of the intersection between that traditional Western medicine kind of approach and the spirituality component. Yeah. So very simply, if I asked you, would you like a joyful, energetic body? I think most people would say yes. Would you like to experience love, compassion, equanimity, empathy in your heart, 
emotionally? Would you like to be emotionally connected with everyone? Most people would say yes. Would you like a quiet, reflective, creative uh, mind? Um, I think most people would say yes. And most importantly, would you like lightness of being and joy and humor and playfulness and fun as an experience in your life? I think most people would say yes. So that is what health means. Joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, creative, reflective, quiet mind, and most importantly, lightness of being, joy. If you don't have joy, you wasted your life. So that's what integrative well-being is. It is a joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, creative mind, and lightness of spirit. And now that we can measure every experience, we realize that our brains and our bodies are created by genes, but they're actually sculpted by experience. And that includes every sensation, every perception, every image, every thought, every social, emotional interaction. You can't divide health and well-being into different compartments. There's physical well-being, there's emotional well-being, there's spiritual well-being. There is well-being in relationships. And there is now we are looking at well-being in different buckets, corporate well-being, business well-being, financial well-being, social well-being, physical well-being, community well-being, inseparable. And everything is measurable. So if we can cultivate these experiences in our body, mind, and spirit, especially starting at younger ages, we can prevent more than 95% of illness. Only less than 5% of chronic disease is due to fully penetrant genes, which means genes that have mutations that are fully guaranteeing disease. And as you know, even for that, there are new developments in the things like gene editing and, and various ways where we'll be able to modify even cut and paste genes, the way we cut and paste uh, emails. But that affects less than 5%. The rest depends on your life experiences, including sleep, including stress management, exercise, mind-body coordination, vagal stimulation, emotional, social interactions, nutrition, biological rhythms, and self-awareness. If we have those aspects of experience in our life, then I think we can look at a future where the future of well-being, even now, could be very precise, very personalized, very predictive, preventive, participatory, is a process. And we should be able to extend health span and lifespan so that people um, don't have chronic illness as they grow older, that chronic illness should be optional, as should mental illness it's it's only those few people who have guaranteed fully penetrant gene expressions, which too we will have technology with machine learning and artificial intelligence, real-time intervention, behavioral interactions. Um, we should be able to totally change the landscape of illness in our society. And is there, so let me just ask a question more about that as I'm thinking it through. We think of that in terms of those learnings and applying that to, I mean, to say our younger generations to help them grow. But is there an opportunity within that to then for people at different stage of maturity 
to be able to adopt it and have a change in their life and, and a better outcome and outlook. The new science is showing that, you know, your neural networks and gene expression is influenced by both your choices for sensory experience, what you pay attention to, and also your choices for motor experience, way and how you navigate movement. So between movement and breath and emotional social interactions, we have the ability to trigger change in our body through stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. And now there's a lot of literature on vagal activation, parasympathetic nervous system, and how that affects healing in our body. And that, in fact, it's never late to bring about neuroplasticity and gene expression never of course it's use dependent just like you know you your muscles are active when you exercise your brain is active when you use it and you use it through what now we are calling mindfulness practices which is basically comes under one term called metacognition meta cognition is to be aware of the choices we make and the experiences we choose. That's it. Observe ourselves having experiences and making choices. That's the highest human intelligence. We call it self-awareness. Other people call it spirituality. But it is not to mistake your selfie for yourself, not your ego for your true identity, which is a field of awareness, which is infinite and borderless and therefore has the infinite potential for creativity. I think the worst use of imagination is stress and the best use of imagination is creativity for a more peaceful, just sustainable, healthier and joyful world. It depends. I choose stress, choose creativity, up to you. It's interesting you say in terms of choose mm -hmm. because I'm not sure people always reflect on choosing stress Rather, they immerse themselves in it. But you're right; it's an act of choice over something else that they. This is not what happens to you. Stress is how you react or respond to what happens to you. So, you have a nonprofit, the Chopra Foundation, and you know its purposes, as I understand it. So, correct me if we're wrong, but to advance the cause of mind, body, spiritual healing, education, and research. Can you talk about how you do that through the foundation? And Through the foundation, we have several initiatives. One of them is called neveralone.love, www.neveralone.love. And here we are using technology, including emotional AI, to help people who are going through some kind of mental crisis, depression, sadness, even suicidal ideation. So we have an emotional chatbot that has now intervened in about 6,000 suicidal ideations and 20 million conversations happening with younger people simultaneously. We found to our dismay that young people are more comfortable talking to a machine than to a human being because they don't feel judged. Anyway, we're taking advantage of this. And so we are helping uh, through machine learning intervene in people who have depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, inflammation, it seems they all go together, depression, anxiety, and we're making inroads. So we want to actually upgrade our machine learning process to 
take this pandemic of sadness in the world and convert it into a pandemic of joy through attention, affection, appreciation, and acceptance. So that's one project of the foundation, neveralone.love. The second is we are looking at longevity, human longevity, because we now understand that if chronic disease can be prevented, then human longevity and health span can be increased way beyond 100 years. And that would make senior citizens a very important part of society. The wisdom of experience and a biology that is still youthful and skillful. So you have this amazing combination of a youthful biology and the wisdom of experience. We collaborate with other people in the longevity research area, both biological you know, experts in biology, but also experts in consciousness. How do we metabolize the experience of time, sleep management, stress management, emotional well-being, circadian rhythm. So that's the second aspect of the foundation, this work, nonprofit. And the third is something which we have recently launched. It's a soul of leadership program for marginalized communities. We did something like that in New York and created a program called Urban Yogis and the crime rate went down dramatically. We're hoping to do that in other parts of the world, including you know, marginalized communities in Sweden and other places. So between longevity, leadership and mental well-being, that keeps us very busy at the foundation. Well, I'd say on all things that you can be equally proud of in terms of the impact you're having, especially on the suicide piece, that's significant. You uh, recently wrote an article talking about healing awareness in times of distress. And many of us have most certainly felt distress um, these past few years and carrying on post-pandemic as we try to let go and move on. And Medical Alley's been working hard on breaking down barriers to access um, for equitable mental health care in communities of color. Could you expand on you know, how it is that awareness comes into play during distress? Yes. So we must make a distinction between what we call awareness and mental activity. So awareness is actually that which we call consciousness or where we have experience. So every experience, we say, where is this experience happening right now that you and I are having? We're having an experience. And other people who are watching us are also having an experience. The big question, even in today's science, is where does experience happen? Most people point to the brain, but there's no experience happening in the brain. There's only electrochemistry or neural correlates of experience. You're hearing me, you're seeing me, you're seeing colors and shapes in your environment, you're feeling textures, you have smells, tastes. The brain has none of this experience. If I put a knife through the brain, it doesn't feel even its own pain. So where is experience happening? This is a big question in science. The only answer is it's happening in our consciousness. If if we didn't have consciousness, there's no experience. Even the experience of the brain is in our consciousness. It's a perceptual activity. So 
So once we understand that awareness and mind are two different things, and the awareness of the mind is not the mind, the awareness of thoughts is not thoughts. Awareness by itself is the background, like the screen on this computer. The programs on the computer are like the mind of the computer. You know, this conversation, a movie, a tragedy, a comedy. The programs are the modifications of the screen, but the screen remains the same. Awareness is that which we call I am, not I am Deepak. I am Deepak is a concept, but I am, that's the mind. But I am is a statement, I exist. Okay, so existence and awareness go together. If there's no awareness of existence, then there's no experience of existence. And what these techniques, mindfulness, being aware of the mind, being aware of emotions, being aware of breath, being aware of body, being aware of interoceptive processes, that actually slowly makes you independent of experience. You say there is experience and there's the awareness of experience. The experience comes and goes, but the awareness is the same. I say I had different experiences when I was a baby. I had a different experience when I was a child, different body, different mind, different personality, different emotions. Same thing as a teenager, same thing as a young adult. So all these are my provisional identities but there's an absolute identity behind that. We call it I. I was four years old. I didn't change. Only the body changed, the mind changed. So as we embark on these practices, which are now coming under the rubric uh, of what we call mindfulness or metacognition or just simple awareness, we realize that simple awareness, when the mind settles down and there is no mind or mind is silent, is the most healing thing there is. Self-regulation kicks in. It happens in sleep also. That's why sleep is restful. That's why meditation is restful. We need to access this part of our brain that allows us to reset and revisit and renew our body, mind, and world experience. That's where understanding of awareness comes in. A lot of people who talk today about mindfulness actually think it's a mental activity. It's not. It's the observing of the mental activity. Okay, It's the witnessing of the mental activity. And that witness, which we call I, is actually independent of the mind, of the emotions, of bodily sensations and world experiences. And therefore, it is healing. I'm reflecting on some of the meditations that I've listened to that you've led, and it is a very restful state when you actually reach it. It's, yep. it's peaceful, and you want to hang on to it and not let go. <laughs> so, thank, thank you. In January, you publish your newest book, Living in the Light, which takes a deeper dive into the practice of yoga. What do you want us to know about that book? What is it about it that makes yoga so instrumental in your life? So the word yoga is the same as the English word yoke. And it means union, yoke, union with yourself, with your soul, with your spirit, with your fundamental reality or I or awareness. And traditionally, yoga has eight different branches. And that's why it's called Royal Yoga under, you know, originally. Most people are 
familiar with the physical postures of yoga, which are very important. But those are the original literature of yoga devotes only 5% of its um, teaching to the physical postures. And even the physical postures are referred to as the seats of awareness, how to understand your body as made of consciousness or experienced in consciousness. And so the eight limbs of yoga traditionally are first social intelligence, second emotional intelligence, third body intelligence, which is the yoga postures, fourth breath intelligence, how to use the breath to regulate the autonomic nervous system, fifth withdrawal of the sensitive and interoceptive intelligence, which means learning how to regulate your heartbeat, your blood pressure, your immune system, that's part of yoga teaching. And, you know, we learn it very early on in our lives. We call it, you know, toilet training. We learn how to regulate our bladder and our bowels, but then we stop. We don't go after that. We don't go to breath or heart rate or immune system, but it's all part of yoga. It's called interoceptive awareness. And then the last three limbs of yoga are focused attention or concentration, meditation, and transcendence. So living in the light literally means living in the light of awareness and yoga as a means to self-realization, not self-improvement. Self-improvement does happen, of course, uh, as you practice these eight limbs, but self-realization means you have a shift in identity from your body-mind to your spirit. And that's that's basically the most healing thing that you can have because when you connect with your spirit, you have joy, you have lightness of being, you have um, a spontaneously loving experience of emotions. And most importantly, you lose your fear of death because that which we call the spirit or soul or self or awareness is not subject to birth and death. The mind, the body, and the experience of the world which are the conditioning of awareness, of course, are subject to body, uh, the, the the things that the body undergoes, entropy, time, death, etc. But your spirit is independent of that. So ultimately, yoga is connected to the word healing, and that is connected to the word wholeness, health, holy, which means everything is one, body, mind, spirit, and the world. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you join us on May 11th at our annual dinner. And um, you're going to be speaking to a crowd of over a thousand healthcare leaders touching all space. I, when I talk about medical alley, I talk about the fact that I look at ourselves as individuals and I talk about all the things that touch us in terms of what we traditionally look at around the terminology of health and well-being, But the partners in the room and at the table do everything from FedEx delivering services to your door, right? To Walgreens putting out prescriptions to our traditional Mayo Clinic or, you know, Alina in the Twin Cities or the payers, United Health Group or Blue Cross Blue Shield or the like. But it's all those touch points within that ecosystem of health and well-being. And they're excited to come hear you speak. And uh, I was hoping that as we get ready to close, you could maybe give us a preview of what the audience can expect to hear that evening. 
Well, I'm really excited to be the keynote speaker at the Medical Alley annual dinner, May 11th at the depot in Minneapolis. And uh, I will be joining uh, all of you uh, for the dinner conversation. What I want to share with you is that the future of well-being is very exciting. It's uh, personalized, it's precise, it's preventable, it's predictable, it's participatory, it's a process, and it's fun that we can all hope to have the experience, if we want, of a joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, clear, reflective mind, and lightness of being. And that everything we talk about these days in integrative medicine is measurable. There's no experience that is not measurable. And now we have ways to not only measure, but we have machine learning, artificial intelligence, and we can integrate technology and science with the best of what we've learned through wisdom traditions and the perennial philosophies of how to enjoy a healthier, happier, joyful, and spiritual life. So it's a great privilege for me to be with you all. And I, I thank uh, Bobby for actually um, inviting me and uh, initiating this on behalf of uh, Medical Alley in Minneapolis. Look forward to May 11th. Well, thank you. We do too. And I'm grateful for our conversation today and your generosity of time. Thank you. And um, I look forward to seeing you. Will I see you at Lake Nona? Will you be there in a couple of weeks? We're having some very interesting uh, conversations and uh, I'll see you there in a few days. I'll look forward to that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our annual dinner, or get tickets to hear from Deepak at the event, please go to medicalalley.org.